Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. It is inside the clubhouse here on 670, the score. Some uh, some fun, passionate conversation, Bruce, about baseball over the last uh, hour or so with, with you and me. And it's interesting how the Brewers, a lot of those guys they're using out of the bullpen are going to be starters next year, like uh, Peralta and Brandon Woodruff. So it depends on how much they use those guys over 162 as starters. They might be set up pretty well, and then they can convert some back to bullpen as right. needed when the playoffs I, I, come. I'm wondering, Matt, if it's going to be that easy for them to convert back to being uh, six-inning pitchers from what they've been. Uh, mentality changes. You need another pitch. Uh, you come in for an inning or two. You don't use. You don't need a whole arsenal. There is a different pacing mm-hmm. that a starting pitcher takes than a relief pitcher coming in and just blowing gas and having, hey, I'm giving it everything I got here for the next inning in a third or two innings. Yeah, uh, although sometimes they just want those starters to get through four or get through, you know, get through five. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, Last night, by the way, one of the greatest stories in these playoffs took place last night. Um, Just just a, a, a fun story. Eric Kratz, who you may have heard with McNeil and Parkins over the last few weeks, uh, the Brewers catcher, he had 12 of his college buddies come to his game last night, uh, all of them wearing Eric Kratz jerseys of the different teams that he has been on in MLB and some of the minor league teams, 12 of his buddies, and they had been texting with his wife all week long, orchestrating this. They flew from wherever they live around the country, and they came to support their friend who has been for 17 years in the major leagues as a journeyman catcher, and he got a yeah, big not hit. All in the major big league. Hit? Not no. all in the major leagues either. I mean, uh, you know, he he certainly has, you know, it, it's it's funny that the catchers, backup catchers, catchers have been around forever, who nobody knew uh, all of a sudden become the rage of baseball. Yeah, well, because they feel, they feel more normal. They feel more relatable. And as one of his friends was saying last they night, they are. Yeah. One of his friends was saying last night, we all have kids now. You tell your kids, who do you want to emulate? How about this guy? He's not the best player in baseball. He's never going to be, but he yeah. works harder than anybody, and he keeps getting Everybody up. Everybody believes that they were just this far away from being David Ross. In their careers, <laughs> right. like okay, just a little he, bit. He took it for seventeen years. He made himself a relevant guy, but for many of those years, it was a tremendous struggle to stay in the major leagues, mm-hmm. to get that major league job, to be looked at as something more than just a backup or a guy that frames great or a guy that's a great teammate. Just staying the route, and and these well-rounded individual people who all sudden people notice as outstanding players in their own right, uh, kind of fascinate everybody because it's like he's the everyday man. He's the guy that is sitting next to me at the bar that almost made it but didn't. Mm -hmm. That's how close this guy is. Well, we know it takes a lot more than that, but the perseverance is real. You know, the stick-to-itness of a guy that hit 220 and is released 
and he has to make his way to another major league team right. via AAA. All the times he could have quit and all the times you didn't. So great story last night, and then Kratz gets the RBI in the first inning. We're going to be uh, speaking with Ned Coletti uh, very soon here on Inside the Clubhouse. Um, but, Bruce, I wanted to ask you why Alan Nero uh, has taken – the approach that that he's taken, he came off um, kind of unhinged, uh, frankly, in the Tribune article. And then right here on the air on 670 The Score with, with Dan Bernstein and Connor McKnight, uh, where Nero is, is Joe Madden's agent. And he's trying to state, um, you know, where the relationship is between Joe and Theo. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's just he came off, he came, came across very, very strong. And, and you'll tell me why he's chosen this moment to try and, and come at it from this perspective. Well, uh, he's the agent for Joe Madden. Joe Madden doesn't have to go on the defensive and answer questions about his contract. Alan Nero represents him beautifully to the point of saying, you know what, this is my job. Joe can sit at home in Pennsylvania or in Florida or in California, wherever he wants to be. And uh, it's my job to say that when Mr. Epstein says it's time to talk about contract, we'll sit down with Mr. Epstein. Until then, Joe is very comfortable being Joe in the last year of a, the highest paid uh, contract to a manager in baseball tied with uh, Bruce Bochy. He, uh, so, uh, you know, again, Theo Epstein was a lame duck in September of 2016. Two weeks before his contract was up, he did not have a contract with Tom Ricketts, okay? He then signed a five-year, close to $50 million deal. I know it's not the same thing with an executive who's taking a team to the playoffs and eventually to a World Series, Mm -hmm. but uh, sitting back and waiting for the proper time is part of being a professional. He is Ned Coletti, the longtime general manager of the Dodgers, now uh, does pre and post out there in Los Angeles. Uh, four Dodgers games, wrote a book this year, and I know a longtime friend of yours, Bruce Levon. Absolutely. Ned, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey, good morning, gentlemen. Uh, compelling baseball in Milwaukee. Uh, the Dodgers. Um, Seemed to be kind of a chameleon team all year long and then caught fire again at the end. Ned, uh, how do you look at this uh, Game 7 here and, and Bueller going in? Well, it'll be, a, it'll be obviously a very exciting, very interesting game. Walker Bueller has tremendous stuff. Um, as we've all seen, sometimes guys that are more pitchers uh, in the 89-92 range, fastball, a little slider, a little curve, Sometimes when you get to this time of the season, it's a little tough for them. Bueller's been 96-98. Great fastball, two-seamer, four-seamer, so up, down in the zone, great slider. This kid has also got a little bit of grit to him. So we'll see, but I think the Dodgers are in a great spot having him on the mound. Uh, You do have momentum in Milwaukee's favor coming into today. Um, but then you got a full house, obviously, uh, up the road from you guys. That'll be jumping pretty good. But I think it ought to be ought to be a classic game. Ought to be a tremendous game. So the way that things are managed in the playoffs right now, Ned, how much uh, length will uh, will Davey give uh, give Bueller, knowing that this is elimination? We've seen relievers come in in the first inning, second inning, third inning. Uh, how far can he go? Well, I think it'll depend on the game. I think that both managers, both Dave and Craig, will manage will manage like it is. It's it's game seven of the National League Championship Series. So 
somebody starts to struggle a little bit, somebody will be up, somebody actually does struggle and give up a run or two, they'll probably be gone. Uh, I think that it'll be a very, very fast game. You've got, uh, as far as your pitching goes, uh, if, if somebody's holding another team to maybe a run and the innings are third to fourth to fifth, Depends on the situation when they come to the plate. But I think you'll see everybody tonight. I think you'll see Woodruff from Milwaukee at some point in time. Somebody that's pitching long relief and a, and a starter at some point in his career. I think you'll see Kershaw tonight. I think you'll see Kershaw and Jansen. I think you'll see uh, Hader. I think you'll see Woodruff. I think you'll see guys who you did not see yesterday. I think you'll see them today. I thought both managers last night, the game inside the game inside the game is who they did not pitch last night, right. knowing that Game 7 beckons. And I think that's an interesting dynamic as well to to what the thought process may be. I thought it was huge that Council did not have to go to Hader last night. I think that was a big thing. Hader is more than a one-inning guy. And I think that when you do rest him to a certain point in time, that you'll, you'll be able to get two, two-plus, maybe even three out of him. Yeah, it's, it's well said, Ned. Very interesting last night. And it's rare to see managers take the long view, two days being the long view these days in the playoffs because everybody's managing. Uh, let me get 27 outs today and I'll figure out tomorrow, tomorrow. Yeah. But, but yeah, Kershaw will be out there. Hayter has got three innings in him tonight if needed. Uh, you know, for the Dodgers, you mentioned the guys. So Kenley and Kershaw. And but who else? Madsen? I, do you really want to Madsen. see? Do you want to see Pedro Baez in this game tonight? If you have, you know what? I mean, we see him all the time, and I don't, I don't know what your, you know, what your, how you feel about Madsen or Baez. We've seen them a lot, and Baez has been really since about the middle of August has been terrific. Okay. And um, Madsen came over after kind of a up and down year uh, before he was acquired. Kind of grew into the the team and the spot. And, you know, he's got a pretty good resume on him from the postseason back in the Philly days. But he has been also very good. How they get used and the situation they get used in will also dictate it a little bit. One other thing about tonight, and it's, uh, it, it may shade onto the Dodgers side of the, of the spectrum, is having been in these spots before versus not mm-hmm. being in these spots before. And I think Burns yesterday pitched so well in a crucial spot in a first-time elimination game for him at this level. But I do think that when you fall behind hitters at this at this stage of a season, you are in deep, deep trouble. And I think being able to calm yourself as you're coming from the pen or as you're walking back out from the dugout to start a game, to start an inning for the pitching piece of it is so, so important. You've got to calm it. You've got to have no pulse you got to just you got to throw strikes, get ahead of hitters. You don't do that. Both these teams will take it to you. Ned, who's who's the guts of the Dodgers? Is it Turner? Do we watch Turner? And is that is that the guy that um, makes makes the uh, Dodgers go? I think so. I think as you you know, like uh, you know, Bruce and I, you know, we're both we're both ancient ancient baseball warriors. <laughs> you know, we remember Reggie Jackson as he used right. to say that he was the straw that stirred the drink. Uh, Justin Turner would be the last guy to ever say that about himself, but that that is who he is. He is a key guy on that team. Manny Machado, tremendous talent. But Justin Turner is the guy I think everybody looks to for calmness, for that, that little look that he's got that tells everybody, hey, we're in this together, let's go, we got each other's back. He's that type of player. He's become an MVP caliber player after being a, a minor league invitee to spring training about 
back in 214, my last year as a GM. But he's really stepped it up offensively, defensively, leadership, and a, and a big game player. Ned, uh, we'll do a, a 180 here. And uh, what, uh, what do you think uh, owners and top baseball executives are looking for for general managers these days? How, I mean, I, I know, you know, you've been a general manager and a successful one taking uh, your team to the playoffs five different times during your tenure. Uh, what do you think people are looking for in a general manager or top baseball guy now? Or is it, you know, that combination of, Hey, I'm a scouting guy. Hey, I'm a metrics guy. I'm both. Uh, and here's how to prove it to you. Uh, you would be the perfect guy to ask because you you have your finger on the pulse of the game. You've been around. You've interviewed lately. What what do you think they're looking for out there? I, I think it's um, I think it's a combination. I think things go in, in cycles, and obviously with the metrics and the analytics, the last ten years that was all the rage. And I think that as teams have really used that as a core fundamental to their their how they select players how they teach players, what they expect, how they play games, strategies inside games, defensive shifts, batting orders, uh, different things for, for your pitching staff as far as how long against who do you use somebody. I think that it, it really started to shade heavily that way. I find the best combination, and, and so I think GM uh, owners, to answer your question, owners were shading that way. I think a little bit now, uh, some are still shading that way extremely, and nobody's nobody's shading extremely to the scouting side, but I think there is a faction that is starting to come back towards the middle, which is a little bit of a balance of both of those, which is kind of where I sit. It's um, information is king. When you sit in that seat, you need as much information as possible. And uh, analytics is is basic, almost prehistoric analytics. When I look at it today, was really how my career started to to change in Chicago with, with Jim Fry, who had coached for Earl Weaver in Baltimore, who had used analytics on the back of a note card that they had right. compiled by hand. Three by fives. Yep. yep. And so that was a big a big uh, opportunity for me. So I've, I've long respected it, but also I've long respected who's inside the uniform. You have to know who the people are, and if they're going to get a game seven tonight, if you don't know how your players are going to, adjust to it or if you've selected somebody based solely on analytics that you know when they get out there they're going to their, their pulse rate's going to be blowing out and they're, they're going to be throwing a ball all over the yard you know you can't you know you can't have that either so i think the balance is the key and i think understanding it i think a lot of baseball people when they say baseball people old-time scout people so to speak they they don't understand the analytics completely and I think the education from those who do understand it in a respectful way ah. to the baseball people will start to merge the two thought process. Sometimes when you have a new group coming into an old group, you've got a little bit of an edge. You've got a little bit of a, uh, you know, I'm not part of your group, but I know more than you. And, and so you've got a little bit of, of, of angst there that I think permeates many organizations. That's why you... You have all all the debate, which one is better, which one is this, because people sometimes do not meld it together. But I do think the understanding of it, 
to understand the value of it. How do you get this information? How do you put it in the process? How are you going to use it? And how much of it are you going to use? When those dynamics are melded together and people are respectful with each other on both sides, we'll call it the scouting side, the analytics side, when they can coexist then you got maybe the best going of all time. Well, that's absolutely great stuff. And it's so true. It's like when you're trying to share knowledge, you can't do it condescendingly. And I've ended up fighting for, for, for peaceful conversation in that regard, even just in silly little media circles, let alone in front offices as you're trying to find the good stuff. Uh, Ned Coletti is with us here on The Score. Um, I, I've heard, Ned, that the Dodgers were not really interested in talking to Manny Machado about furthering the relationship beyond this year? Is that simply because of Corey Seager's return and the lack of desire to spend money? Or have, have, have the Dodgers maybe learned some stuff about Manny Machado that some other teams perhaps are learning as we watch the playoffs here? Well, I think you're always learning. And I don't, I don't know where the Dodgers come out on this, on this particular player. I know he's, he's a tremendous gifted player, one of the best I've seen in a long time in everything that he does, including base running and of course we had the incident that type of base running incident that we've had not necessarily a a you know a sprint down the first base line from time to time but running the bases itself first to third first to home one of the a great one a very 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 good one and I, i'm not sure where the dodgers were at it i think you learn something every day i think when the acquisition was made and i looked i just looked at the infield with Corey seager 24 years old coming back and, and one of the better young players in the game and Justin Turner who if it wasn't for Arenado in this league would probably be getting a lot more gold glove consideration at third I don't know where everybody would play plus the cost of doing business so right. but that's not my call that's that's obviously somebody else's thought process but I do think that uh, sometimes when you make a deal like this you don't look beyond the last day of the season you look, how can we get to the World Series? It's, it's, a, it's a short look, but it is such a key look. You know, the Cubs winning in 216. People won't forget that for decades. And, you know, for, from the Cub fans' perspective and Theo and Jed, you know, they hope that they add a few more notches to the belt in the meantime. But you win the Fall Classic. That is such a big thing. And I think teams, when they acquire players at the end of July and sometimes once in a while in the month of August, you are looking to get to the fall classic and to win it. That's the deal. After that, every, you know, everything kind of settles in and you figure out if you're going to keep somebody, if you're going to you know, let them go, add somebody else, or how you're going to comprise your team. You think about the future all the time. Not a day goes by you don't think about the 219 Cubs or the 219 Dodgers. But your focus right here, right now, with the Dodgers is 218. Your focus as of two weeks ago with the Cubs was 218. Ned Coletti has a great book. It's called The Big Chair. It's about his travels from uh, humble beginnings in Franklin Park, Illinois, to uh, the Dodger general manager's job and a successful one. You should pick it up and read it. Barnes & Noble, online, everywhere. It's a great read. Ned, wish we had another hour. Thanks for taking some time out. Matt and I really appreciate it. Keep up the great work, my friend. Thanks, guys. And, Matt, you're sitting next to a guy that probably had a – Longer routes of success as anybody I know. I don't know. I, I think I, I'm going to go with you on that one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Yours went a little further than mine. Ned, you're the best. Thanks for taking some guys. time. All right, see you, All Ned. Right. Thank Ned you. Ned Coletti does a great work on the pre- and post-game former GM. 
We're going to take a break and then wrap this up as we come back inside the clubhouse with you every week from 9 to 11. A little shorter this week as we go to Illinois football. Boy, good stuff with Ned Coletti. Interesting to hear, Bruce Levine, as we wrap up inside the clubhouse here on The Score. And we thank uh, Ryan Dempster and Ned Coletti. Uh, your pick tonight uh, to win the National League Championship. I've, I've thought the Brewers have had that glow since the beginning of September. I just I, I smelled them coming, and I just there was a moment I didn't think they'd ever lose again. They've lost three games in this series, but I think the way the council has set it up, they've got Woodruff and Hayter, and Chassin's been perhaps their best starter. I think they get it done at home tonight. I'm, I'm looking for Yelich to... Break out further. He started it yesterday. He'd been quiet the whole playoffs. Mm-hmm. That happens. I think the Brewers win. Well, and uh, it, it, you know maybe it's Walker Bueller's moment. This kid has deserved to be talked about a lot more than he has been this year. So you might see him show up really, really big. Matt, people can follow me on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. I write on the Cubs and White Sox almost daily on 670thescore.com. Matt, uh, look forward to seeing you next week. Yep, we'll have a full show next week, and uh, we'll be in the midst of a World Series. This hour on The Score was brought to you by Webb Ford. Searching for a great deal on Fords in Chicago? Visit Webb Ford in Highland, Indiana. Thanks to Ryan Dempster. Thanks to Ned Coletti. Thanks to Zach Withers for doing a great job producing the show. You can find Inside the Clubhouse podcasts via The Score's website. It's a little tricky, uh, but the Inside the Clubhouse page has its own podcast link. Have a great Saturday, everybody. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 